Stand Up for the Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up for the Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for tuning in. We've got Pastor Chris Quintana with us today. And uh, before we get to him, just mention some headlines and things we are going to try to touch base on later in the podcast that we've kind of been talking about before. And, and But they are amping up um, violence and threats against pro-life groups. Um, as you may have heard from the media, they are soaring. I've got one article here that says uh, 40, 40 occurrences now so far of violence recently, 41 in the last 40 days. Uh, against churches or pro-life organizations, and that is because the radical left is getting ready for the overturning of Roe v. Wade, if that should happen. The Supreme Court uh, may have delayed that decision. We'll talk about that a little later on. Also, um, the fact that Fox News ran a segment promoting Pride Month and a transgender teenager and uh, some social conservatives and Christians are slamming Fox News now, who we've often said they've got some good programs, they've got some good people on there. I love much of the content that Tucker Carlson puts out, but the network as a whole, we cannot say it's conservative. We just can't say that. Now, I know what you're saying, compared to CNN or MSNBC, yeah, but you can't compare it. It's like, okay, are they a network that we can trust? But if they're going now down this transgender um, bandwagon, we're in trouble. So we've got to find out where to get the news. And I want to mention once again, the 200 resources you can trust. It's more than that now, but it's on our website. Q, I'm sorry, standupforthetruth.com, standupforthetruth.com, one word, resources at the top. They're in alphabetical order for you to easily get through this list. Over 200 resources you can get. Biblical worldview, news, conservative sites, apologetics, and ministries that we trust. So use that resource. So I want to bring in Chris Quintana. Uh, we're talking about when government can't be trusted and history repeating itself. We're seeing a lot of that today. Well, Chris is the former senior pastor at Calvary Chapel, Cypress, California. He's in Texas now. Um, he was wise to get out. <laughs> Chris has a great love for teaching God's Word, Bible prophecy, discernment issues, and applying a Christian worldview to current events. And today, one of the things we'll talk about in this first segment is progressive Christianity, um, what Jude warns about in the church, uh, the men that crept in unnoticed. And also, we're going to talk and speculate about revival. So, Chris, welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth. Well, thank you, David. I appreciate the invitation. It's always great to be on with you. Uh, we appreciate you, brother, and your perspective. And we're just right now going just to invite the Holy Spirit. So, God, lead us by your Holy Spirit. Uh, there's so many things that we could talk about, but you know what people need to be encouraged with and and informed about, So, and, and even edified by the Word of God. So, Chris, before we get into some of these other you know, cultural, social, uh, political, quote, <laughs> issues where, you know, the government is uh, having way too much power and control in our country that we never, never thought would happen, at least in our lifetimes, but it's happening. Let's talk about progressive Christianity Let's talk about what you mentioned. Uh, we were talking about Second Chronicles 34, 35. You've been reading that and studying that, and you've, you've really uh, shared with me, anyway, personally, some interesting insights I think would really benefit our audience. So, um, you know, why don't you paint a backdrop for us? Let's go back to the Old Testament and talk about some of this. Well, um, I'll try to do it briefly. You know, it's something that you could take a whole lot of time. It's two chapters. And <laughs> frankly, it's just because we study through the Old Testament as part of my weekly thing on the online uh, church that I do. And we're at that part of Chronicles. Um, there's some really in interesting to me implications that you see in it. And if you're going to make an application to modern times, it's, you know, it's, you have some equivalents that I think people should really pay attention to. Um, and primarily the two big glaring ones is whether or not we are uh, going to be people who will be faithful to do as God directs 
and uh, and not just follow tradition or ritual because it's part of our church. And that's you find that a lot in uh, um, what, as you had mentioned, the progressive Christians don't really pay much attention to the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll pay lip service to them, but <clears throat> pretty much it, it, their their values are very much secular. You you can't really call them. Christians per se, because they don't believe in a traditional Christianity, biblically speaking. Right. But the other one that was interesting, when you read through it, you go, my gosh, this is what revival actually looks like. And for all of the discussion of revival that we hear around the church, it, it doesn't sound, when they describe it, it doesn't sound anything like what we saw when actual revival kind of broke out in, in probably as impressive a way as history can possibly record, and that was during the time of Josiah. So can we get into that, Chris? And just first of all, we're, I'm speculating, and I think um, you can look at our American history and the church history and w- how far we've kind of fallen from the early days when there were revivals, there were awakenings in America, spiritual revivals, and there are always pockets of this going on. But I don't think either one of us sees that happening, barring a miracle of God. God can do anything. So let's put that out there right now. But as of as of where we're at now, where you know, the Barna research comes out in the biblical worldview now among pastors is around 37% or something like that. It's, it's awful. And we're dealing with progressive Christianity. We're dealing with false teachers in the church. We're dealing with, um, evangelicals that are just really going, they're compromising the word of God. And we desperately need revival, but we just don't see it happening because that would take repentance and that would take people admitting that they're wrong and uh, going back to the Bible. But in the Old Testament, that's what it took. I think of the book of Ezra when they just all of a sudden went back to the word of God and the wonderful sweet time of of worship and honoring God there. And now um, give us a little bit more uh, on on Josiah and uh, how was he influenced? He was a young king. And, um, boy, they, they really changed things when he started repairing the temple and uh, they discovered the book of the law. So share a little bit more and it, and the, the hope or lack of that we might have here in America for some sort of awakening or revival. Well, then uh, there's really kind of two categories that we would look at. Um, when it comes to revival, depending on who you're talking to, they would say that America needs revival. Well, America um, is, by and large, completely secular. So it, it's different when you're talking about revival in the church as opposed to revival in the nation, because they're two entities. Um, the fact that we're even saying that the church needs revival is pretty sad. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, a person who's walking rightly with the Lord doesn't need revival. Mm-hmm. Uh, their everyday life is revival. So they don't need something that is lacking at the time. And when you study Josiah, if you're trying to find the equivalent it would be like if it was to break out in the church, and we know that much of the church, if not, I would say, actually, to be honest, I think the overwhelming majority of the, quote, church in America uh, is not biblically accurate in how they do what they do. So the long and the short of it, he takes over as king at eight years old, and uh, there seems to be some kind of really rich influence in his life, though we don't know who it is, because eight-year-olds don't usually, without a lot of help, uh, really want to follow and do what's honorable before God. So as he gets into his later teens and then into his 20s, they begin the repair of the of the temple, and it's so horrible. It takes such a long time to amass the, the fortune to do it. They begin the rebuilding process. So they do know that there's a necessity for the temple. Mm-hmm. They do know that there is a role for the priests and for the Levites, and there are things that are taking place that you say, good, they're on the right track. Mm-hmm. And so the only thing that we can deduce from that is that there has to be some kind of tradition, some kind of oral history, maybe some historical books that give them some kind of the mechanics of it. And they're doing as what we can see, and again, best deduce, they're doing the best that they can with what they have. And to their surprise, they come across a book of the law. And when he hears, Josiah hears some of it read, he tears his clothes, which is, you know, that, that state of just anguish and fear and what is, what is going to take place, woe is me kind of a thing. And he says, inquire of the Lord, what does this mean for us? What's going to happen? He realizes we are like on the cusp and, and we have incurred the wrath of God here. And so um, this is just such an interesting thing, because whatever history they had, whatever tradition they had, whatever ritual they knew, 
once they compared it to the written, authentic Word of God, they realized how far out of line they were. Yes. And it's his reaction that is so important to us when we start to think about the Church. Uh, I think when you and I were talking, I had mentioned his, his approach wasn't, let's just tweak a few things. He <laughs> says, let's clean the slate and start from scratch that's since right. we have the perfect, uh, the perfect mold and model here. And that's what begins to take place. Chris, is that something that you think needs to happen in the American church? Uh, the, for, for the way you put it, that you clean the slate. Um, we've, we've really strayed so far. I know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying all churches are, because there's a, a lot of the remnant churches, of course, that are still s- standing true to the Word of God, but overall, I mean, my goodness, it almost needs to be uh, wiped clean, but how, how could that possibly happen in, in America? Humility would be your, the one word you could and use. Re- repentance. And right? I don't have a problem necessarily with, quote, tradition. I mean, I, I come from a from the, the group of churches called Calvary Chapel. And there are things that we do that you would say, well, that's kind of a tradition of your church, like mm-hmm. teaching through the Bible verse by verse, every book, every chapter, the whole way through. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a traditional way that a Calvary Chapel works. And I don't have a problem with going into the Scripture to teaching and explaining how that is a biblical tradition that we hold. So traditions in and of themselves are not the problem. What uh, we see with Josiah shows that, well, what they were doing was clearly not something that God was pleased with, and once they had a chance to see what was pleasing to him, they realized they needed to clean the slate. Mm. So to answer your question, I think much of the church needs to completely jettison most of what it does in practice Mm. and get back to what the Word of God would teach. Um, I think that the typical keep people entertained in the seats and, you know, the habitual um, uh, kind of topical preaching that just makes everybody happy and keeps you out of the headlines is a horrible tradition in the Church, and it's a modern construct, and it needs to go away. Uh, The really super old denominations that basically you can go at any particular Sunday, and it's the exact same thing again and again and again, Mm. that is not going to instruct the people. That's something that, again, clean the slate and start from scratch and get back to what is instructing your flock biblically by going to the Word of God and having that be your sole authority for everything Mm. that you do. Mm. Well, I, the problem is there's so many different denominations and traditions and, you know, churches, and sometimes you have to put that word in quotes, uh, in the United States. I mean, there's churches that have drag show, drag queen story. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, so, and there are churches that are, that, that are pro-abortion. Um, that, that's so difficult to do because you can maybe do it like one association or one denomination at a time. But for the whole of America, the church that represents America, this is a big undertaking, and, and that's why I personally don't believe it will happen, uh, barring a tragedy. Now, we thought we, our backs were up against the wall during COVID-19 and the lockdowns when the church was deemed non-essential. You would think, Pastor Chris, you would think that the church would have risen up and said, wait a minute, that the church of Jesus Christ is very essential to equipping the saints, to the health of a society, to uh, biblical morality and the values that we promote. And, and you're thinking, we almost heard crickets because very few um, stood up. But let's, I want to get back to Josiah because I'm, I'm thank you for bringing this up in Second Chronicles chapter 34. And I just want to read the last three verses and, and, and let you expound on it a little bit because I, I love this little section because it says so much. Now this is after they're already working on the temple, trying to, you know, rebuild, and they, they, uh, discovered the book of the law. And in verse 31, it says, The king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments, his testimonies, and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that are written in this book. Furthermore, he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin stand with him. So the inhabitants, inhabitants of Jerusalem acted in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Josiah removed all the abominations from the lands belonging to the sons of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. Throughout his lifetime, they did not turn from following the Lord God of their fathers. 
Pastor Chris, just open up some of your insights on this this little section that I found to be very, very profound. Sure. Well, you just read is kind of the therefore part of it. So just by kind of hopping around a little bit, in, in verse 18, it says, Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and then Shaphan read it before the king. Thus it happened, the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. That's his, uh-oh, problem. Mm-hmm. He follows that with saying, now that I know what I've heard, in verse 21, go inquire of the Lord for me, for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found for great is the wrath of God poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written. Mm. So whatever their, their traditions and all that stuff never honored God. So when they, they hear from this, this um, uh, prophetess, the, this is what they hear. Thus says the Lord in verse 24, I will judge, or I will bring rather calamity on this place and on its inhabitants and all the curses that are written in this book, which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me. Wow. And then but look in verse 26, where it says, but as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you will speak to him. Thus says the Lord God concerning Israel and concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before when you heard his words against this place and against the inhabitants, and you have humbled yourself before me and tore your clothes and wept, I also have heard you. I will gather you in peace, basically, is what's told to him. Mm. So what you just read is what happens when a person comes face-to-face and runs headlong into what God's Word says, realizes that they're in a place of incredible distress and wrath, and then they basically cry out to God, God, save me and forgive me for what we've done, what must I do? And so here he says, knowing what I know and hearing what I've heard, I'm making a covenant between me and the Lord. And then he brings the accountability part by saying to the people, you guys have a decision to make as well. Here's what we're going to do. You guys need to understand your immediate peril, just like I have accepted and understood mine. Now you make a decision. Mm. And then he carries through with all of the reforms to where when you read in chapter 35, after they keep the Passover as they're supposed to, it says there hasn't been one in verse 18. There hadn't been a Passover like that since the days of Solomon. Mm-hmm. And he wouldn't even have known what the Passover was on what he knew before reading the word. Mm-hmm. There's a line there, a, a verse I should say, in uh, verse 33. We're in Second Chronicles chapter 34. Um, Josiah removed all the abominations from the lands. A verse I read this morning in my quiet time, I'm going through the Psalms. It's part of what I try to do continually with, with other books of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. But in Psalm uh, 139, verse 21 and 22, Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. And this is David, of course. And there's other verses in the Bible saying uh, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. And so Josiah, the king, removed all the abominations from the lands. We've got two minutes in this segment, uh, Pastor Chris. Do you see any connection with what would need to be done and removed from our land today, like Josiah did, in order for us to get back to biblical Christianity and the true uh, scriptures? Yeah, and again, this is that difference where um, it shows the covenant that he had with the nation was different than what we have, Mm -hmm. because um, as goes the spiritual condition, which was their nationality, uh, so goes the people in their day-to-day practice. Um, Our form of government is very much secular, and it has been from the beginning, Um, but our country had been very much um, uh, kind of not just influenced, but really kind of kind of led by a Judeo-Christian value. But what they had done was removed all of the places where there was corporate worship among the people of foreign gods. Mm -hmm. So those abominations would be all of the high places and the places where they would make offerings to the different, you know, deities of the surrounding nations. So it was all of those kinds of things that were happening throughout the country. So when you start to talk about it in those general terms, if you could ever make the case that the United States is a covenant nation, you wouldn't even recognize what our country would look like if you removed everything that was an abomination to God. Mm. It, 
you wouldn't we've never had that society in the United States it's never existed isn't it true that uh, Islam considers um, Israel um, the little Satan and they consider America the great Satan have you heard that yes and that's that's interesting that perspective thinking we're an immoral country and Christians you know the, this quote Christian nation that's their view but let's talk about that when we come back plus progressive Christianity and if it's bad in America why is it good in the Ukraine we've got more with Pastor Chris coming up your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated now back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo Pastor Chris Quintana is with us today you can get more info on Chris on his website actually check out some of his teachings as well at Old Path Ministries The website is oldpaththeology.net, oldpaththeology.net. Wrapping it up, uh, we were talking about Second Chronicles, and uh, before we got back on the air, Chris, I mentioned it sure does sound familiar, um, because in the book of the end of the Joshua, I believe it's 24, and then Judges, um, the first two chapters, it talks about how the elders of Joshua's generation they all served the Lord their God throughout the lifetime of the elders, and and then once they died off, Israel went back and followed foreign gods. and And is some of the some of the saddest verses in Scripture there in Judges chapter two. You want to put a wrap on this around those thoughts? Yeah the the interesting thing is when there's there's a drop off, if you will, from what had been what was authentic. It doesn't take very long for things to start to decay, and it, it's a good if it, kind of a metaphor for how we're supposed to be vigilant about what we believe and not just kind of go with whatever seems right. And that's one of the phrases there, that they did what was right in their own eyes, and that means that there's no governing authority. So if the Scripture's not the governing authority and not the Church, the Scriptures, if that's not your governing authority, you'll wind up in some pretty dark places. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's talk about what has infiltrated our church and how generations have gone by in America. When we started off, um, whatever we believe about whether we are a Christian nation and who founded America and who came over and, you know, the pilgrims and the, the colonies, the early colonies, and then our earlier, you know, uh, just the founders and what they went through to develop the Constitution, basing it on the biblical worldview and God. Uh, you can't deny that. Uh, the laws of nature and nature is God. God is, was prevalent throughout the early writings in America. Um, and then what, how they tried to live by biblical morality, whether some of them were Christians or not, that's a different subject. But they sure did try to set up this nation properly. And they also tried to protect religious freedom in America so that churches could worship the Lord our God. And then what happened? We allowed, we meaning we're going back a century or two, allowed this infiltration of false teachers. There's a little compromise here, a little compromise there. Um, now wanting our best life now and, and not sticking to the scriptures and, and preaching the whole counsel of God. Progressive Christianity has been a big influence. I would say a poisonous influence within our churches today. So I think, Chris, I'd like to address that because you've preached on this, you've written about this, and, and you've got a lot to say about what and I liked what you said earlier, that it's, they're really not Christian if you talk about what the Bible teaches um, because of some of the things they believe. And I have this outline that you sent me way back when, the eight points of progressive Christianity. This is on their website. Now, um, they believe in, oh gosh, uh, protecting the environment is one thing. Uh, they believe in uh, striving for peace and justice among all people, of course. Uh, understanding there's more value in questioning then in absolutes, maybe we could just stop on that one. Number five, <laughs> more value right. in questioning, right, rather than in moral absolutes. So just share how this has gotten in the church. These are the kind of things that, that could prevent revival, what we were talking about in the first segment. Yeah, actually, those are the kind of things that make revival necessary. Yeah, Because <laughs> yeah. you're talking to a dead person there if they believe that. Because ultimately what, what you have in that, it, it's a, in a very backhanded kind of even subtle way, uh, it's it's pretty much saying the Bible's not absolute. So that be, basically means that they like to paint in shades of gray and new, uh, nuance, and yet the Bible doesn't really leave that option open to us. So I always get a kick out of playing, you know, something out to its logical conclusion with the, the there's no absolutes. Um, that in itself is an absolute statement. 
So I've actually had somebody say that to me as well. You know, there are no absolutes as far as the scripture is concerned. And I asked them, are you absolutely sure about that? <laughs> and the, the whole thing is just so absurd. But mm. for you and, and me and people like us, we would say, I just genuinely don't have a problem with looking at the Bible and saying it's pure, perfect, and it's inerrant because the God who, who had it written wanted to make sure that he was communicating with his creation accurately. And so I would expect nothing less. I don't have to make it some stretch of my imagination that what we have in the Scripture is authentic and authoritative because it's perfect and God-breathed. Hmm. And so that means that if God has taken the time to put down that marker, if you will, of his Word, then that means that my obedience to it is it's optional I can do it, but it's not optional as to what is and what is not true. And so the progressives would tell you, well, they, they disagree with every single thing that I just said. Therefore, they can take the trail mix version of reading the Bible and eat mm. the stuff they like and, and leave the stuff that they don't. I look at some of these bullet points on here, Chris, uh, of progressive Christians and what they, they believe. And I can't help but think of Jude. Um, when he you know warns about these you know false teachers that crept into the church, and Jude asks he really is instructing believers to contend for the faith that's, that was once for all handed down um, we need we must contend for the truth, and here we 've got people that it seems like they 're purposely leading people astray because some of the stuff that they 're believing in and saying it, it just seems so unbiblical we we just Really, a lot of us don't understand how people can be duped by this type of, I guess, philosophy. Philosophy is a good word for it, because you can call yourself whatever you want to, but clearly, you know, a a Christian is very easily defined uh, if we're using the Scripture for the definition. But you had mentioned point five, point six tells us that we should strive for peace and justice among all people. And you know, most people are not going to find that as an objectionable thing, but when we look at that from a, from a biblical point of view, you want to say, well, are we talking about man's justice or God's justice here, mm. and God's peace or man's peace, because they will take that and say, that's why we are pro-LGBTQ, and every single, you know, uh, special group that has special rights that you can find anywhere if it agrees with their left-of-center philosophy. But they're not talking about biblical peace, biblical justice, because ultimately God is going to bring justice to the earth when he judges man because of the matter of sin, and only after that will you actually have peace. And so it's such an interesting thing. When we think of biblical peace, that means that man is at odds and in a state of active warfare against God by his sin. Hmm. And until that's dealt with, there is no peace. So, you know, it's just so... It, it picks up on all the little, you know, kind of projects that they like to get themselves involved with, but it's not biblical anything that they're talking about. Hmm. Well, I think they've redefined slightly uh, peace and justice, right? We, whenever you put a word like social in front of justice, then it's not God's justice, is it? Um, of course not. <laughs> it has now a definition given by man. There's an adjective. Exactly. Put in with it. Exactly. So number seven is fascinating, and we're just reading off their own website of Progressive Christianity. Uh, Strive to protect and restore the integrity of our earth. And so how is that scriptural? Yes, we are to be responsible with the planet that that God has given us to manage (laughs) for a short time, but how is that scriptural when you start talking about, as far as the environmental movement now, that plays into this, because they put the earth and and nature and caring for the planet over the needs of the people. In fact, that's when you start talking about things like population control is a necessary thing to take care of the earth. So, Chris, your thoughts on that and how, how twisted it can get pretty quickly. Sure, and they just don't seem to understand. This is hilarious. When I hear that one and I listen to that whole mentality when people try to explain it, yeah, it's where you get the radical environmentalists. And you'll find Christians people that profess themselves to be Christians uh, who buy into the whole New Age thing that the, the, the Earth is in somehow, to some extent, sentient, and uh, that it's alive, and, you know, so the Mother Earth kind of a whole thing. But my 
Bible tells me in Romans 8, uh, verse 20, it says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. And mm. so because of that, the, cre- the creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And it tells us how it, it groans and it labors in, in uh, birth pains until this very moment. So that's what the world tells me about the earth, is that the earth has, has had to suffer the same corruption because of sin and death. Yes. And it longs for that time of being restored. So the, the way that they view the earth versus the way that we view it is entirely different because mm-hmm. they think somehow man has within his ability uh, the, the, the possible way of destroying the entirety of God's creation, man making himself far greater uh, of importance than he should. And they also talk about drawing from diverse sources of wisdom on our spiritual journey, their words. And they uh, affirm that the teachings of Jesus provide but one of many ways to experience the sacredness and oneness of life. That almost sounds New Age. Um, Chris, you want to comment on that one? But I want to touch on uh, the third one as well. Sure, because the idea of oneness of life and sacredness and all the rest of that, uh, the oneness and unity, that's, that's basically a bit of an amalgam of one and two, the first two tenets there. And really what we find out is that for the, the people who have, have what we would consider or call being born again by Jesus' words, those who have had a spiritual rebirth uh, because of being forgiven of their sins, there's no unity and there's no oneness that I have with anything other than people who are also born again. Um, I may be a human, but my destination in the eternal sense is completely different from those who are not. So I can only say that there's a oneness in the fact that I have human DNA, which is you know makes the whole idea of race an interesting question. Because mm-hmm. There's a human race, and how much melanin you have in your skin doesn't change that. But be that as it may, uh, the sacredness and oneness, yeah, you're right. It's very, very New Agey. And a progressive Christian has more to do with the New Age than it does with biblical Christianity. So let's move on to number three, and, and we don't have to get too in-depth here because it's very clear what they're believing, that uh, seeking community that is all-inclusive of all people, including but not limited to uh, conventional Christians and questioning skeptics, Believers and agnostics, women and men, those of all sexual orientations and gender identities, and those of all classes and abilities. So, Chris, then now we're opening up to really, it seems like, the LGBTQ, and uh, we just want to be inclusive, right? We want to be welcoming these code words, diverse, welcoming, inclusive. Sure. What's really funny is that they, when it says that they seek community, that means we want to have all things in common with all of these groups of people. Wow. But if you just go through it you know, quickly, the first one, conventional Christians, great, that's my brothers and sisters, but questioning skeptics, great, that's my mission field. Yep. But I can't have anything in common with a skeptic who doesn't believe as I do. I can only hope to evangelize them. Same thing, the second one, believers and agnostics, that's very much the same thing. They've just repeated themselves in a bullet point. But the agnostic is the person that says, well, I think that there could be a God, but I don't know about him. Hmm. Well, that's Paul in Athens, the God that you serve without knowing. I'm here to tell you about him, that unknown God that you think you, know, you, you might be out there. Men and women, who's going to have an objection with that? But those of all sexual orientations and gender identities... <laughs> That becomes a, that's a non-starter. Yeah. Because gender identities is not something that is as of the mind. It is something that is of the genetics. And you can't get around that. Sexual orientations, that means whatever kind of perversions you're talking about outside of the only one that God recognizes. And there's, I can't have commonality with people who claim to be something else. Just see what Paul had to deal with in 1 Corinthians 5, where he said, put them out of the church until they get it together. And if they get it together, let Satan have Adam. Um, the last of it is those of all classes and abilities. Sure, that's what the church is. We're not a cookie cutter, you know, stamp out Christians. They're, whatever you bring in the door is what you're going to continue to be other than a regenerated person who has a different worldview. But what you were continues on as you're a believer. So mm. there are things that are totally unobjectionable in this. 
And there are other things that cross the line between traditional Christianity and something that is just a fabrication calling itself Christianity. Yes, I love the way you put that, a fabrication calling itself Christianity. And friends, if you take nothing else from this conversation, um, please take this. We've got to obviously love these people, but they need to hear the gospel, because they, the true gospel, because they need to repent. Some of them that are following this movement, this philosophy, which Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 says, do not be taken captive by worldly philosophies like this. Uh, these are worldly things. These, this is a secular movement, but they're, they're, just, they're, it's veiled as Christian and is absolutely not. It is not biblical. So we, we need to warn them. They do, do need to repent. And, uh, so just keep in mind when these conversations come up. Uh, we have two minutes left in this segment. That went quick, but I really wanted to get to some other issues now, some news. Um, and move on in this clumsy transition here. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about, we uh, began discussing Christian nationalism and defining what nationalism is, how that's not a bad thing necessarily, and but the left is putting Christianity because of maybe there was a um, Christian flag, an American flag at the January 6th uh, dust up at the Capitol, and I said dust up on purpose because we're going to talk about Jack Del Rio being fined $100,000 He's an assistant coach at the Washington Commanders football team, formerly known as the Washington Redskins. He was fined $100,000 and for calling the Capitol, you know, event a dust up because the left is calling it an insurrection. Well, who's right? Who's more accurate? Well, he was comparing the dust up to the riots that were ongoing through the summer months and destroyed a lot of property. And we're, I'm just going to share this quote, Chris. And we can briefly comment, and we'll have to pick it up at the other side of this break. He said that um, would I would love to understand the whole story about why the summer of riots, looting, burning, and the destruction of personal property is never discussed, but this is, this meaning January 6th, what happened at the Capitol. So it's a very fair question. And he was fined $100,000, and then I'll, I'll mention his response when we come back. But, Chris, you know what the left is trying to do here. I'll give you a minute to just share a thought, and we'll pick it up on the other side of the break. Yeah, it's basically you'll get in line with the new orthodoxy or we'll cancel you mm. and you know put you into the poorhouse in the, in, the, in the process. But that's exactly what it's intended to do is to completely stifle any kind of speech that goes outside of the neo-orthodoxy of the, you know, the, the, the people making policy. Mm. Well, let's take a break here. Um, it's sadly, the coach, Washington coach um, Del, uh, Rivera, um, said his comments do not reflect the organization's views. They're extremely hurtful to our great community here, uh, you know, which is just really amazing. We just want to hear both sides, friends. We want both sides represented. If you're talking about violence in one area, we better talk about violence in the other area, depending on regardless of political affiliation. But we've got more with Pastor Chris when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Coming up, we, God willing, we'll talk about why social conservatives and Christians are slamming Fox News for airing a Pride Month segment and uh, really promoting a transgender teen at a very, very young age and the, quote, transition. Also, if it's bad in America, why is it good in the Ukraine? We've got to talk about hypocritical evangelical leadership, and those would accuse us of Christian nationalism. But back to the Washington commanders. Uh, the NFL, we know, went woke. They were all having all their players kneel uh, in honor of Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation that's Marxist-driven and anti-American and hostile toward the biblical worldview. See, I got a lot in there in one sentence there, didn't I, Chris? But... <laughs> But here's what Jack Del Rio said. He's the assistant coach there, and he just responded when he was when everyone said, "Well, I can't believe you said that." People are calling for him to be fired. ESPN, which is woke and liberal and Marxist, they said, "Fire the guy." He said this to respond to all this. He said, "We as Americans all have the right to express ourselves, especially if you're being respectful." I'm being respectful. I just asked a simple question. Why are we not looking into those things, meaning the 2020 riots where billions of dollars of destruction and vandalism happened on our streets, car, police cars blown up, you know, people lost their businesses, people were murdered on those streets that summer. I can realistically look at it and see the images on TV, people's livelihoods being destroyed, businesses are being burned down, no problem. And then 
We Now he's referring to January 6th. And then we have a dust-up at the Capitol. Nothing burned down. And we are going to make that a major deal. So he just asked a question. How do you compare the two, he was saying. So uh, Commander's head coach Ron Rivera said, we're going to fine you $100,000 for saying this. So, Chris, continue your thoughts on this. It's, it's really disappointing. Yeah, because, again, there, it, it shows that there is no free expression of your ideas whatsoever. There is a, no, a new orthodoxy, and if you ever step outside of it, they will savage you. Mm. And so, yeah, what did he say that was wrong? This is the, the evil fruit of everybody jumping on the BLM bandwagon and not realizing that there's a difference between the principle versus the organization. Yes. So BLM, the organization, now everybody, if they paid any attention, knows just how absolutely corrupt and how big of just liars they were about their cause. Um, they were acting like greedy capitalists, and yet they, they say that they're Marxists. So yeah. they, just, they just, you know, fomented a lot of absolute hatred for the country. They are very pro-LGBTQ and the dissolution of the nuclear family. It was on their own website. So, you know, the, 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 whole, the whole premise of BLM, they were just able to make a whole lot of money using a slogan, but they never really believed the slogan because you never saw them in Chicago or the places where young black men are killed routinely every weekend. Yes. So they were just as phony as they could possibly be. They have been found out. And so for him to just say, look, the things done in the name of Antifa and BLM were just a reason for kids to go out and break stuff, and nobody was worried about it. Hmm. And yet to compare one with the other is just ridiculous. And all those people rotting in jail from January 6th? Yep. Uh, how many of those have been brought up on charges of insurrection? Not a one, not a mm. single one. So oh. you know the the narrative is just such a joke, but nobody ever takes the time to look into it. There's a really heartbreaking video um, on a segment that Laura Ingram did on Fox News um, with one of the January 6th defendants um, who c- took his life. He committed suicide because it, it just he was in jail. He was arrested and. And he was just a, a, such a gentle man, a, a you know, believer in freedom. His name is Matthew Perna. Um, look him up, friends, because this is just so sad on what the left has done. And the uh, anyway, let's let's move on to this. Uh, continuing on January sixth, then report after report re- declared it an insurrection, right? And they were saying um, these people wanted to take over the government. Well, I I don't find much truth in that at all. Um, but I guess if you buy the media's lies, you'll you'll fall into that camp of saying, yeah, the, these evil Trump supporters, and that's how they're trying to put us all into one basket of deplorables now. Kamala Harris was one who said these people in the same boat as uh, the 9-11 terrorist attacks, Pearl Harbor. She mentioned it in a speech. And then you looked on the uh, media outlets, looked at the media outlets on how they reported that. They were using the exact same language so, which proves, Chris, that they thought this through before the talking heads were repeating these talking points. So they posted the National Guard outside. The Capitol building was fenced in. But here's the thing, Chris. The impression was they were supposedly protecting the Capitol and the government from you. If you're a conservative, Christian, Trump supporter, even an independent who wanted a free election and fair election, or if you're a Republican, so this is very scary now in this, what they've set us up as when they're starting to throw these accusations at us. Yeah, and if they had done half of the precautions that they did after January 6th, going into January 6th, we wouldn't even be having this discussion. Mm-hmm. And I'll go out on a limb here and say that I know that Trump on the 4th of January had authorized uh, the National Guard to secure all of that whole downtown plaza of D.C., um, and just make sure that if anything did break out, it could be put down very, very easily. That was shot down by Mayor Bowser and by Nancy Pelosi. So you have to ask yourself, is it just gross incompetence, or were they hoping that they would have something that would happen that they could use to try to bludgeon the president Mm -hmm. yet one more time and bring up another goofy impeachment? So um, Mm -hmm. we have our answer to that. I have no doubt in my mind. That not as much Bowser because I think she's just a complete incompetent. But as far as Pelosi's concerned, she's a calculating politician, and I think she absolutely is relishing the idea that that stuff happened on January sixth. They didn't burn down the Capitol. 
Nobody was killed except for a, a protester who was inside who was unarmed. And uh, they didn't, you know, they, the, most of the damage that was done, I love watching actually the videos. It looked like a normal day of tourists walking within the ropes as they're touring through the Capitol. So should it have been done? No. Could it have been prevented? Absolutely. Who's at fault more than anybody else? Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, they didn't want to prevent it because they wanted to do what they're doing now in this mm-hmm. fiasco, uh, the January 6th hearings, right? So let's talk about the fruit of their rhetoric and how there's such an incredible double standard. So, yes, there were some flags, uh, Christian flags, maybe some banners or symbols or God bless America or God bless Trump posters on January 6th. That doesn't mean that he was behind it all. And that doesn't mean that these people wanted to take over the government. They were they were some of them were protesting because of the election and what happened. So here's what's going on now. As I was uh, doing this article last week about January 6th, uh, and Christian nationalism, news broke about this California man that was arrested near Justice Brett Kavanaugh's home, um, reportedly there to kill him. He had a backpack and a suitcase full of things you would use to kidnap or to torture somebody. It, it really is amazing. And you think about this. I don't hear this being condemned. I don't hear this. There's there's people outside Amy Coney Barrett's house. She's another conservative justice. Notice how they're not protesting the the pro-abortion crowd. They're not protesting out of the liberal uh, justices' homes. They're just protesting the conservative justices' homes. Chris, we're seeing a, just such a massive double standard. I don't know if people know how to react to this anymore. Well, if you know, if you want to say equivalence, where are the pro-life people out front of uh, Sotomayor or Kagan's house? They're not there. It's not happening. Of course not, because right. it's not how we play the game. Um, when I think about this, if they want to say, well, we saw a few Christian flags, therefore. Yeah. Well, you know what? There was nothing on January the 7th, but I can show you that the anarchists of Antifa with their flags were in Portland for a year yeah. burning stuff every day. And the BLM, same thing, Marxist. That, um, you know, these are all godless people, but nobody was saying, what is up with these godless, atheist, Marxists, you know, every single day burning down stuff? You had some people say that, but it was never the media. Mm. So, you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of this, verse 18 of John 15. If the world hates you, just know that it hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. That's all I need to know. So um, when Jesus is is telling that to the disciples in the upper room before he goes and has his arrest and and subsequent uh, crucifixion, he's telling the disciples right there and then. The same type of thing is going to happen to you. He says that in the first few verses of chapter 16. They're going to think they offer God a favor or a service by killing you. So the hatred is generated because they hate Jesus and we identify with him. And that's why it's never going to find any equivalent of of the world hating any other thing other than the biblical Christian. Yep, and the biblical worldview. So, Pastor Chris, we've got five minutes left. Let's jump over to this uh, article um, by Owen Strayan. He's uh, affiliated with the um, Freedom, um, not Freedom, Family Research Council and Tony Perkins, and he wrote an article, If It's Bad in America, Why Is It Good in the Ukraine? He really asks a couple of questions. Uh-oh, he's asking questions. Uh, he says, is it good for other countries? No, if it is good for other countries to have national identities, so too for America. If it is good for other countries to celebrate their culture and heritage, so too for America. And if it is good for other countries to have borders, so too for America. He starts it off by saying um, there's some support for the rights of citizens in Ukraine, and that has bewildered some of us who've been hearing supporting America and the, and the, and the flag is, is too prideful or it's racist or whatever it is. And Ukrainian nationalism is a good thing, but if you believe in America and are proud of America and believe in the country and, and just have any sort of support for America. Now you're saying, well, we better not as Christians, right? Because that's Christian nationalism. So, Chris, I, th- these are some interesting comparisons, and it really shows the hypocrisy of some of those who are trying to accuse those who want to support America when we're now supporting Ukraine, and we don't even understand their corrupt global government, do we? 
And, you know, when we were when we were just talking during the break, let's just put the principle to the test. And um, I just believe this way. I don't care if it's Ukraine or anywhere else. Yeah, there's they're all talking about national sovereignty and people have a right to protect their borders, except for us, of course. But the idea that, OK, great, then let's take a look through history and show me historically what has Ukraine added to the world? And then what has the United States added to the world or any other country for that matter? So for our, all of our faults, which really are starting to mount up the further that we go in our history, because we're getting further away from being godly people, um, still the, contr- the contribution that we've made to the, to the world gives me every reason as an American citizen to say, I'm thankful that God had given some men the vision to put together the form of government that they did, and many of them, as you said really early on in the, in the podcast, were believers themselves, and it showed in the way that they put together public policy and law. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that I can have, um, if you want to call it pride or nationalism or whatever else, that's fine. I don't care if they think I want to try to impose it everywhere else. It's not my battle to try to, to impose Christianity upon the nation. Right. That's got to be a personal choice. You can't do that by demand or by force. Amen. All that you can do is be a faithful witness. And he, I love the point he makes here. He he not only talks about these comparisons with you know us in the Ukraine and, and patriotism and things like that, but he also goes back and talks about the medical tyranny and what we've been having in a couple of years. And he says how strange it is that to hear neither left nor right cheer on the Ukrainians and others as they resist as they resist totalitarianism. And this same group critiques American and Canadian Christians who have dared defy the last couple of years of health based statism, basing their principal defiance in the Bible and their country's founding documents, once more, the illogical rule applies. It's good to resist tyranny in Ukraine, but it's bad to resist in America. Your thoughts on that, Chris? Yeah, I kind of find it just as, a, as an interesting little irony that some of the, the people who uh, did the most to crush our, our liberties in these last two years are the ones who are starting to break out with COVID infection. Um, <laughs> yeah. I find that to be fascinating. Mm-hmm. People that are not vaccinated are having the same reactions that they are. Um, but anyway, that, you know, it was an opportunity. We know that this, you know, we don't, we're at the end of the program, but I know that if you take a look and we've had this discussion, this is exactly what the reset was supposed to be about. They saw COVID as their opportunity. Mm-hmm. And everything that hurts us right now and is hurting the whole globe is all part of what they say they wanted in that reset. The pain is going to be on the front end, but it's going to be a greater society because we're going to reorder all of it. Mm-hmm. And erasing nationalities, erasing nationalities is among their, their objectives. Yep. Erasing, yeah. And Christian exceptionalism or American exceptionalism. Um, that's something we can't talk about anymore. And it's just really sad how far we've come. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, Chris, where can people get in touch with you? What's the best place to connect with you? Uh, they can connect with me through the email at oldpaththeology.net. Our YouTube channel is Old Path Theology, and that's where we put up the New and Old Testament Bible studies through the week. And you've got to check out Chris's Facebook page, always commenting on things that uh, are, are very, very uh, important for Christians to understand. I love your perspective, brother. And just thanks for your time today. Uh, we'll talk to you soon, brother. Keep in touch. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Tomorrow coming up, Jay Siegert of the Starting Point Project. And uh, next week, we've got a load of great guests as well. You want to check that out. Uh, we're talking about Islam in America on Monday with a brand new guest. And I'll tell you more about that tomorrow. Uh, God bless you, and as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.